Today's guest is Peter Drew, a homeopath right here in Perth. Peter has a long history of supporting clients with cancer by using homeopathic treatment, and even though he is no longer practicing, he is using the knowledge and skills he gained by teaching and writing and also mentoring homeopaths when they have tricky cases. He is the author of three books, including Carcinosin and the Cancer Miasms, also Miasms, a discussion and summary with emphasis on Carcinosin and the Cancer Miasm, and also 21st Century Homeopathy. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we get to hang out with Peter Drew right here from Western Australia. Hi, Peter. There is a doctor here in Perth who studied homeopathy through you, and they said about this Narogen Homeopathic College. And I'm like, what? I didn't know there's another college here. And then I Googled it and I found you, and, yeah, now we get to have a chat. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that doctor that uh, mentioned me was actually the reason why Narogen Homeopathic College started in the first place. Oh. I was the advisor for Brower uh-huh. after I'd done my studies, and which I've already mentioned to you. And that gave me the confidence to go on and do Narogen Homeopathic College. And so a doctor asked me to teach her homeopathy and she had a chemist friend who wanted to learn as well. So I kept the notes for that. And then with the confidence of having done the the advisory line to homeopaths, naturopaths, doctors, chemists, veterinarians, I um, went on and started Narogen Homeopathic College. Initially it was was open to all practitioners, you know, any practitioner, any medical practitioner, alternative or mainstream. Mm. But now it's become what the website's down at the moment because it's being updated. Now I only teach qualified homeopaths. So it's now it's only postgraduate. Okay. So, you, so you have to actually have a diploma or the modern, you know, equivalent so to study at the college. Okay, and you regularly present courses for the Australian Homeopathic Association as well, hey? Yeah, I've done a, I, I did about 20 years ago, I did a present, six hour presentation on cancer and constitute, cancer constitution. A few, about four or five years ago, did Melbourne did AHA, another six hour prezi on, this was specifically on cancer. Mm. And I've done the ATMS and various other bits and pieces. Yeah, so some four hours, some you know, a couple of hours, just tailoring them to the audience, you know. So Sometimes, like I've, I've taken a couple of homeopaths. I didn't ask for her permission to mention her, so I won't mention her name. No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, so I've taken a couple of homeopaths through the cancer book, you know, understanding and treating the person with cancer. They We did one lesson. We did one chapter a week for eight weeks, for example. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, cancer, at one time, I was became so involved in in treating people with cancer and that all of the clients that I had, every single client, had cancer. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, so that That's pretty heavy for you as a practitioner to be dealing with that day in and day out. I, um, yeah, I I bowed out after that Mm. and went back to linguistics for a little while. I just needed a break. That was, um, it was a little bit too heavy. It's interesting, the linguistics, because obviously the founder of homeopathy, you know, Samuel Hahnemann, he was really into his languages as well. So <laughs> a bit of a parallel there. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I don't know. That's, um, I've got no idea. Yeah. I just, I like languages and, and I'm apparently good at them. So that's, yeah. Yeah. That's what fine. languages do you work with? Well, I, I, I worked with Australian Aboriginal languages. I mm. 
designed and taught courses in four different languages. I studied ancient Greek and did studied some Sanskrit and then studied general linguistics, you know, scientific analysis of languages. So, well, that must have helped you with learning all the Latin names for the homeopathic remedies then, hey? Yeah, I, would, I never studied <laughs> Latin, but the Greek is similar and it's not too hard. No. Yeah, absolutely. Medical terms, more medical terms, they're all Greek. Um, okay. Homeopathic remedies, they're all Latin. Yeah, exactly. So um, you have a special affinity or a special knowledge or, you know, resonance with cancer and the cancer miasm. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what is the cancer miasm and the remedy carcinose and, you know, what is that made from and why is your special interest in that area? Well, I had a friend when I was studying whose wife was dying of cancer. It was too late, you know, like mm. I was already, um, she was already past the point and I was studying and I started trying to help her, but it was a bit, as I said, too late. Mm-hmm. So I became interested in carcinosin mm-hmm. and I did, that was what I did my thesis on. Mm-hmm. And I got every single piece of literature. The British Homeopathic Library had every single book that had ever been written on homeopathy. Mm-hmm. And so any single quote, any book, any article, any anything I searched, scoured the web for five years. So it took me five years part time to do it, mm. and I put together all the information that I felt was was um, of interest and and of use to practitioners, and put that together. And that was was put it put out under the heading by B. Jane the Myasms. Mm-hmm. I put some other stuff I'd done on the Myasms put together to make a book. Mm-hmm. But the second half of the book was just simply on carcinosin mm-hmm. and the cancer myosin. I don't know if I've got off track there, but anyway. No, no. Can you tell our listeners what is carcinosin and what is the cancer myosin? Just because <clears> I, <throat> I cater to the general public as well. So just trying oh, to make okay. sure everyone's on the same page. <clears throat> well, your listeners will know anything that can cause a symptom can cure a symptom. That's the basic principle of homeopathy. I'm mm-hmm. talking to your general public. Yes, absolutely. Just reminding them. Yes. And so carcinosin, or the carcinosin that I use is carcinosin co, actually the person to import it into Australia. I gave it to... Um, Martin and Pleasance. Martin and Pleasance. The guy's name was Stasi Kleintutsis. And so I gave it to him. And uh, so Martin and Pleasance, they now, I don't think Brower actually have still got it the code, the 15 cancers. So even though, I just want to say this because I don't want to forget to say this, even though Ramakrishnan says that 15 cancer remedy is not the way to go, I have found it way more powerful. Mm. For example, I worked my way myself, I worked my way up to a 50M in carcinosin. Mm. I got to Melbourne, I was a friend homeopath, I was just bringing family in the Family were traveling across Australia, and this friend gave me carcinosin. I was up to 50M, but she only had a CM. Mm. And I took the 50, the CM, and it was only about the same kick as a 50M. That was the old, that was carcinosin breast, just simple. a single, yeah, just made exactly. from the breast tumor. But the mm. 50M, and now, now the 50M is the remedy that resonates with me. That's mm-hmm. not my constitutional remedy, yeah. but that's the remedy when I run myself down into the ground. Amazing. Yeah, because <laughs> I think the one that they use, the one that I've got is a 58 tumor one. So it's like 58 wow. different tumors. Yeah, wow. so I think yeah. that's the one that they use. Because I know there's the 15 tumor and then there's the, the 58 yeah, tumor. Yeah, well, I've, I've found the 15 tumor because it's got a scurrus cancer in it, um, which is which is um, Ramakrishnan's alternative. So he uses oh. a scurrus cancer and a... And the breast cancer, that's 
so scorinum mm. and carcinosum. Well, it's interesting you say that because I have his cancer book and I never actually, th- I just assumed he used the combination tumor. So it's, I just no, never thought. No, I just he never actually, thought in, his new, in his new book, yeah. he actually says don't use it. Oh, interesting. And okay. so that's why I wanted to specifically mm. mention it because I found it so much more powerful. In fact, the results that he gets, mm. I mean, I do a few extra things. I use nutrition. And we can talk about that later when we talk, if, if we get to talk about Absolutely. what actually turns a cell from non-malignant mm. to malignant. Mm. We can talk about nutrition at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've found it so much more. So I get a higher rate of helping mm-hmm. people with cancer <laughs> Interesting. than Ramakrishnan statistics. Wow. And his statistics are pretty good. So if you're getting higher than that, that's impressive. I'm not treating anymore. By the oh, way. Yeah, you um, did say, hey. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically only teach and advise. Mm-hmm. So I mainly, I get most of my income from advising and teaching single units. Mm-hmm. So most homeopaths choose, they would just want help with this aspect. Cause as I said, I'm teaching postgraduates, you know, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. And if you talk about like a cancer miasm, how would you explain mm-hmm. that to like a lay person? So a miasm, if we, if we just wanted to simplify it down, to the basic, it's a it's a disposition to well. It's first the vital force. A miasm is a taint on the vital force. So prana in Ayurveda, chi Chinese medicine. Mm. So a taint on the vital force, the life force, mm. the energy that keeps us alive. Mm. And there are main five main taints recognised by homeopaths. And so they won't worry about going into them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is that the cancer miasm is a specific taint mm-hmm. and it's made up of actually all of the miasms, the three main miasms, Sora, so I am going to go into it, psychosis yeah. and syphilis. It's a, it's a combination miasm, just like tuberculinum is a combination or, or um, yeah, whatever other name you want to use, pseudosora mm-hmm. or... or mm. um, Sora syphilis or what? I mean, sorry, yeah, sora syphilis yeah. or whatever. You know, it's a combination mm. miasm. So, and I, I always explain that it's like an inherited susceptibility, or or like some. I don't know if that would be a, a good. That would idea. be the best. That would be a nice, nice, simple way to say it. Yeah, I should <laughs> Just... have. I, I actually got the. Um, I've got a definition, but I thought I won't read it because it's a, it's a complex. It's a definition yeah. for homeopaths. So I thought I'd rather try and explain. Yeah, I know we're going to go into some really good stuff today with, you know, um, carcinosin and cancer myosin. And I thought if we kind of lay the groundwork for our listeners that yeah. we, you know, we could say, okay, this is what it is. And then we can just get into the good stuff from there. So talk to us a little bit about the constitution of somebody that might have like a carcinosin or um, like a cancer miasm or that sort of taint on their vital force. What would that look like in clinic? Given that a carcinosin is made up of the three different miasms and it's been for example Ortega and Agraval both talk about like a scurrus cancer with sore predominant and adenoma with psychosis dominant Mm. and then a sarcoma with syphilis dominant so carcinosin is just it's just such a wide depth breadth of remedy Mm. covers it just covers an amazing what is interesting about carcinosin is that it's like if you look at the main polycrest like mm-hmm. you know sulfur sepia mm-hmm. 
whatever, their general relationship ratio between mental symptoms and generals and the rest of the whole repertory mm-hmm. is about one in ten, one to ten. So one mentals and ten to the rest. Okay. Carcinosin is two to three. Mm-hmm. So it's so much more on the mental side. Mm. And so that's where you find the main symptoms arising. The person is doesn't have good defences. They they say yes to everything when they really want to say no. They're mm. a people pleaser. They're, of course, the history of cancer in the family is a major indicator. Mm. And what's interesting is if the mother is prescribed carcinosin, then one homeopath, I won't worry about doing the, where, the quote, but just I'll give you a sort of a, an essence of his quote. Yeah. He says, if you give carcinosin to the parents, the children will undoubtedly need carcinosin. Mm. But what's even more specific is if the mother needs carcinosin, mm. that the children will definitely need carcinosin because it's from the mother that the DNA or the mitochondria mm. are inherited, none from the father. Only I have never mother. heard that. And so what we will talk about later is that cancer is not the result of a genetic mutation. It's the result of the breakdown in the mitochondria, the energy plant to the, wow. to the actual cell. And that's concrete. And they should know it. Um, and I'm going to get, I'm going to get uh, too vigorous here. But um, like, for example, the, the instant, various institutes, can we talk about this now? Oh, you can just, do you know what? I'm just going to sit here. You just go for it because this okay, is great so, stuff. Yeah. Uh, in like the Canadian Cancer Council, the US, the British, you look at all of them, they all say categorically that cancer is the result of genetic mutation. Mm. And when you start to look at the facts, that's just so wrong. Mm. I'm pretty sure his, his last name was Israel. So he, in the 1980s, did an experiment where they took the nuclei of 96, I imagine it was 100, but maybe four of them failed. They took the nuclei of 96 cancer cells and swapped them with 96 healthy cells. Now, everyone was certain that the cell, the healthy cell that received the malignant nucleus was going to become cancerous, but it didn't. 100% normalised, 100%. The cells that received the healthy nucleus in the cancer environment, Mm. 98%, 99%, 98 point something. Mm -hmm. So only one cell didn't turn cancerous. The rest all turned malignant. So it was the environment. It wasn't the nucleus at all. And Mm. they worked that out back in 1986. There were people that did um, Nobel Prize awarded people back in 1931 who pointed out that it was the mitochondria. It's been known for decades, for nearly 100 years. Wow. And then, if that wasn't enough, they took healthy mitochondria and they inserted them into a cancer cell and the cancer cell normalised. Wow. So it's the mitochondria. That's where the breakdown is. In that third, like you've got the anaerobic, aerobic. So all cancer cells are mainly run, get their energy from anaerobic respiration. Mm. So cancer is very simply is a cell running on anaerobic respiration. Now, mm-hmm. just imagine, so, for example, the first two phases of respiration produce four ATP. 
Then in the last phase, we get about 32, about 30, 30 ATP produced. So you've got 34, 36 ATP produced in full respiration, aerobic respiration. I'm just going to nod here because I remember very little about my biochem that used to just, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. be very so confused. I, I'm sure somebody I, listening I just, to this will understand. <laughs> okay, so... The energy molecules in the cell. Yeah, called, I, I would do remember it stands for adenosine trisphosphate. I'm doing this for the layperson. Okay, the cool. energy cells in the energy produced, mm-hmm. those particular little cells are called ATP. Uh-huh. So in there's three reactions in a cell in normal aerobic, which means using oxygen, mm-hmm. respiration. Anaerobic means without oxygen. Mm-hmm. So a cancer cell is running on anaerobic that is without oxygen mm. and so it's running on that first reaction of two you can say atp molecules <laughs> of <Yeah>. ATP. <laughs> and um, then, then there's another 32 34 that, mm-hmm. that aren't being produced okay so now imagine you get up tomorrow morning jenny and you've got six percent in your energy mm-hmm. um you're going to assign those tasks of your energy for, mm-hmm. to the most important things. Mm-hmm. You're not going to, uh, say, do the washing that day. You're not mm-hmm. going to iron. You're going to, you know, get up, have a shower, go, you know, the, the important things. Mm-hmm. So the cancer cell, figuratively speaking, says the same things to itself. Mm-hmm. It says, well, I've only got two, I'm running on two ATP. Mm-hmm. It, it produces it while it just produces, that's why it eats sugar. Because mm-hmm. glycolysis, glucose, mm-hmm. is the breakdown of the first stage of ATP, the first mm-hmm. stage in that cycle. Anyway, so it produces two, and you've got six, eight percent of your energy. So you just say, well, I'm only going to do the important. So mm. cancer says, well, I, I don't want to die. Mm. That, that takes energy. So we won't do that. Normal apoptosis, cell death occurs. Mm-hmm. In, in mutant malignant cells, mm-hmm. but it doesn't in the cancer cell because the cancer cell hasn't got the energy to do it or it doesn't want it, you know, it's got to focus on one important thing. It says, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use some energy to turn on reproduction. Mm-hmm. Now it takes energy to turn off reproduction. So it says, well, I won't do that. Uh-huh. I'll just use my energy to reproduce and produce another cell. Okay. And I'm not going to die as well because that takes energy. So you've got a cell that just continues to reproduce and this has decided it's not going to, figuratively speaking, has decided it's not going to die. And so I've never it, heard it explained like that before. That actually really makes sense. Well, uh, in Chapter 7 of the book, Understanding and Treating a Person for Cancer, mm-hmm. as it, it took me about 20 years to put all that information together to, and I had to get to the bottom of cancer to work out what's the best way to treat it mm-hmm. because there's three ways to treat a person, because we don't treat cancer, mm-hmm. treat a person with cancer. And that is, first of all, you can burn it or poison it or, mm-hmm. or cut it out. Mm-hmm. Well, just le- leaving aside the cutting out for the moment, we'll just do burning and poisoning. Mm-hmm. burning and poisoning weaken the cell mm. what's actually going on when you use nutrition and other things is you actually strengthen the cell you turn it back to a healthy cell mm-hmm. and then it has the energy to, to kill itself mm-hmm. apoptosis so the those two methods are in harmony with each other the, the using homeopathy mm-hmm. They've done tests in labs where they put carcinosin on cancer cells. Mm-hmm. Um, that's there for people to research 
out there if they want to and the, the cancer cells so there's that that's so that's we've got the burn poison we've got use homeopathy and use nutrition mm-hmm. nutrition and homeopathy are in harmony they're both getting the cell to become normal mm-hmm. and do the right thing and kill itself mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what homeopathy and nutrition do and burning and killing work the opposite I could tell a story about a, a, one of my first clients. Yeah, please do. And so what happened was he had a brain tumour and it was they managed to remove about half of it. Now, he was bullied into mm-hmm. going on, with, but he had to wait 12 weeks to have um, chemo because they'd done a brain, an operation, they'd removed half of the tumour. Mm-hmm. So in, the, in that 12 weeks time, that was when he was taking the two remedies. Uh, it turned out to be carcinosin and phosphorus. And normally when you go and cut into a tumour, the old wives' tale about you know, putting it to the air is, is just a load of rubbish. I don't know if you've heard that one. It grows after it goes to the air. That's What actually happens is that when you cut away half of the tumour, then what you've done is you've doubled the space for the tumour and you've also doubled the amount of nutrients that tumor is receiving through the blood supply. Oh. So that's the reason why it, okay. it grows so quickly afterwards. Mm. But normally that's what happens. But in this case, because he was doing using homeopathic treatment and we were treating the person and the person's energy increased, then the cancer began to shrink. Mm. And so the cancer was then half the size again when they did the, the scan so we've got now a quarter of the original size. Many of my clients asked, you know, should I have an operation? Should I do this? Should I do that? I said, that's your decision. But personally, I would choose to have operation removed mm-hmm. because then then you're dealing with a smaller mass. Mm-hmm. But, of course, the other things I would, uh, I would go for the positives, you know, turn themselves healthy mm-hmm. and get them to kill themselves. So... He was at um, when he started, so he was the switch, it was shrinking, and the doctors got his wife aside and talked her into talking him into mm. going ahead with the chemo. Of course, the as you know, chemotherapy, antidotes, homeopathic remedies, and mm. didn't work. He was dead two months later. Oh, that's such so, a shame. What a good result, though, to have shrunk the tumor by you know half again. Well, that's a well, short was, period of time. I mean, it was sad, but it was a, I actually learnt from it because that was my early days of treating. It was, and it was the first time I'd ever not used a, a Ramakrishnan remedy. I mean, in Phosphorus is in his second book, but it wasn't in his first book. Mm. So that was, I was still working 20 years ago from, well, 18, 19, whatever it was, mm. years ago from the first book. Interesting. But, so, yeah, but it built my confidence anyway, regardless. Yeah, amazing. And um, how do you use the nutrition alongside? Like, have you got any? Okay, so because we haven't established the idea that it's the mitochondria where mm. the problem is. So what we want to do is we want to get the mitochondria working again. Mm. There was a an author named Lester Packer. He was the advisor to the United Nations on nutrition. Mm. And at Berkeley University, he had, while he was, he, while he was still alive, the, he had the, the Packer Lab, a laboratory named after him while he was alive. So he's one of the wow. leading nutritionists in the world. What he used to do is he'd take a piece of tissue and he would poison it, just about kill it, just take it to the, just before it dies. <laughs> and then he would revive it. 
and he would use different nutrients to see which ones worked the best on different, on different poisons. And he came up with what he called the antioxidant miracle. And it was vitamin C, vitamin E, CoQ10 and alpha-lipoic acid. Uh -huh. So I read his book and I wondered, well, I wonder what application they have to cancer. And I looked at, looked at the research on those four nutrients and cancer. And lo and behold, vitamin E transports oxygen through because the the wall of a cell is a fat or mm. a lipid. Mm. And E uh, is fat soluble. Yeah, exactly. And vitamin E is a fat as well or a lipid. So vitamin E transports oxygen through the cell wall. Interesting. Vitamin C transports oxygen within the cell. Mm. And then CoQ10 is a fuel for the mitochondria and alpha-lipoic acid repairs damage to the mitochondria. So as I said, he calls it the antioxidant miracle. So if you use one of those things, say if you wanted to assign that a point value of two mm. and assign each of the others a point value of two, they don't work out to be eight. They work out to be something like 128. Wow. They multiply the effects of each other. And so when I was helping people with cancer, I said, this is non-negotiable. You mm. must take these four nutrients, actually, that's five. I said selenium as well, mm. to, as, while, while you're trying to improve your health. Mm. That's amazing. And um, selenium, because our soils in Australia is pretty deficient? or Well, that's true. Mm. But what they did, they did a, a study on selenium and they thought it was a, a no-go, but then they reassessed the study years later mm. and they found that the people that are taking selenium, the cancer had not metastasized to important organs. So that skin cancers remain skin cancers mm. on those that were taking the selenium, whereas those that weren't taking the selenium metastasized internally. So it, selenium has some property where it protects the higher organs mm. in, the in the hierarchy of importance. Okay. Cool. Skin being least important, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wrote that's a little note here. That's for your non-homeopathic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wrote a little note here just, you know, a few minutes ago when you were saying just about uh, the mitochondria and how they were saying that, you know, a lot of people think that your genetics predetermine whether you are predisposed to cancer. But Bruce Lipton, the author of The Biology of Belief, he actually says only 2% of chronic illness can be put down to genetics, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Well, you would have to be to a degree disposed. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about that. Yeah. But I'm glad you've raised this. Uh, Eugenie, because just because someone is predisposed to something, they may never come mm. under the circumstances that cause that snap, that break. So I would disagree with that man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would say it's the predisposition plus mm. the combination of, of the of events. In fact, I'd like to read you a quote. Yeah, please on do. That right now, this at the turn of the 20th century, the cancer just went out of control, mm. and they did a study in 1915 on cancer because it proliferated so much <laughs> and we say proliferated so much well in 1870 in the 1870s cancer was about six in 100,000 mm. and I think it was 1912 it was one in 43,000 out of 100,000 mm. it was you know the majority of the deaths were cancer but what they've done today is they split cancer up into if you don't die of cancer anymore you die of lung cancer so because they don't want to have 
cancer seeming to go out of control, which it is. Yeah. So what they've done is now they call lung cancer a disease mm. and breast cancer a disease mm. and liver cancer a disease. It's no longer cancer anymore. Mm. Whereas prior to, you know, around 1912, 2012, 2013, they looked at cancer as a whole. But they don't do that anymore. So stats are a little bit hard to get unless you want to sit there and add up every single thing. Uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, they like but, to do that now and again with the statistics to make things sound a little bit different, or they think give things different names. Or anyway, they did a study in 1915 because I said because things were getting out of control, and they said this. This is a study of all of, all of the studies, all of the papers, all of the research mm-hmm. from all over the world was put together, and they came to the conclusion that civilization, or in, this is 1915, or environmental change, I'll tell you the name of the paper for those out there that want it, was called the mortality, the 1915 report was entitled The Mortality from Cancer Throughout the World, and it was authored by Frederick L. Hoffman. Uh, he was the American Society for the Control of Cancer. That was, mm-hmm. he, he was the head of that. And they said civilization or environmental change was both connected with the incidence and increase of cancer. Mm-hmm. And he went on to say, there can be little doubt that the various influences grouped under the title civilization play a part in producing a tendency to cancer. And mm-hmm. that's been the same, by the way, with, with the miasms as a whole. Mm-hmm. We know that, like, for example, in the proliferation of tuberculosis, mm-hmm. it was the long hours, the mm-hmm. factory life, the new, that new situation that caused the proliferation of tubercular tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Go back to the time when bathing was thought to be like wrong, and mm-hmm. then the the sore miasm was mm-hmm. was at its predominance. Mm-hmm. So today the cancer miasm is like way predominant, out of control. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you, I sometimes feel a little bit guilty because there are not many clients that walk out of my clinic without a dose of carcinosin. I sometimes feel like I'm over-prescribing it, but it is the one remedy that even though it would be my most prescribed remedy in my clinic, I have hardly ever had aggravations from that remedy. It just seems like all my clients that I give it to just do so well on it. And one of the main things I hear after I prescribe it is people being able to put better boundaries in place for themselves, like saying I'm able, for the first time in my life, I'm able to say no to things. I'm finally doing things just for me and, you know, getting their energy back and um, being able to express themselves better. Like it's just such a wonderful remedy. I love prescribing it. Yeah, look. In in all the homeopaths that um, come to me for advice that I've taught, everyone said the most prescribed remedy they use yeah. is carcinosin. Yeah. So it's not it's not a secret. Yeah. I hope <laughs> I hope I hope it's not just that between us. But anyway, going back to that um, what we were talking about before, that guy who said that about the genetic disposition. Mm, mm. So it is genetic disposition. You can't mm. you can't. I mean, unless. For example, if you just rub a car- carcinogen on your skin mm-hmm. forever, you're eventually going to get cancer, yeah. whether you're exposed <laughs> to it or not. But here's what a study, one study came up with, and you've probably heard this before, Eugenie, but being under constant pressure from an ongoing stress or a major shock on the emotional level usually occurs 18 to 20 months, four months prior to diagnosis of cancer. Mm-hmm. So there's that final snap straw. Mm-hmm. And this is a quote from 1926. Mm-hmm. I chose the oldest quote that I could find mm-hmm. to emphasize the point on, remember I said before, it's a, some, carcinosin is very mental. 
mental, mm. emotional. Mm. It's so much more. Metorhinum is the only other remedy similar to carfenosin. Mm. A major remedy. There's probably others, but mm-hmm. you know I've analysed quite a few, and mm-hmm. and that's anyway. This author, by brain-based evidence, without was a psychological study of of cancer by Dr. Alida Evans, and she said that cancer is a symbol of something going wrong in the patient's life, mm-hmm. a warning to take another road. So that going back to that modern recent quote of that other medico who did he came up with what's called the cancer personality. Mm. I started off to do that, mm-hmm. but then Dr. Brody's personality was, I, I interviewed all the health practitioners mm. or t- mainstream. I made certain I didn't interview anyone that was a homeopath because mm-hmm. I didn't want their understanding of carcinosis to colour the cancer personality profile that I was, yeah. I was putting together. Mm-hmm. But I found that Dr. Brody's profile covered more than half of what I'd put together. I think it was about three-fifths of, of the of his comments, which I found exactly the same. I only found another two-fifths on top of him in my breakdown of it. So what are some of the things that you found about the type of person, like the type of personality of people okay, that are susceptible to cancer? Yes, okay. So this is people who are susceptible to cancer and who, you know, by definition might benefit from the remedy carcinosin. Yeah, I'd like to read the list. So that, um... And actually while you're reading it, Quick question. Why do you think carcinosin has more mental symptoms than the other miasmatic remedies? Because that's actually what where the where the final stress happens. Okay. Remember, remember what that was the point that I was actually thank you for asking that. Because <laughs> that was the point that I was trying to get across mm. by reading from that doctor back in nineteen twenty six where she said it's uh it's a indicator to take a different road. Okay. You know, mm. you come under such emotional stress, just, you know, now you've got to make some changes. Mm. I was just thinking, um, I've had a, re- it was just a really interesting experience. One of the newer podcasts, because we're launching our hundredth episode on Friday. You're welcome to come along if you want. We're having a big party in Mount Hawthorne with a hundred guests and oh, wow. lots of prizes. And yeah, it'll be awesome. There'll be a few homeopaths there as well. Um, so yeah, I, we had an episode recently, episode 92, I think. And it was on rheumatology by a Indian homeopath. And that one has a completely kicked ass. It's done, it's gotten more downloads than Jan Shalton and Rajan Sankran's episode and Dana Ullman more than any other episode. And I think it's because rheumatology is actually there's so many people with, you know, joint complaints. And as you're talking, I was just thinking, Oh my gosh, I think your episode is going to like kick ass of all the episodes because cancer is such a huge, huge thing. So. I think it should attract a yeah. lot of listeners. Yeah, that's good. Um, we get rubrics for remedies from three different places. Mm-hmm. First of all, we get them from the what we call approving, and mm-hmm. I hope your listeners are. That's been new. covered. If, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, and the second way we get them is from clinically cured symptoms. So, mm-hmm. if we were to give a remedy, and the person had, and we were treating a particular complaint, mm-hmm. and there was another complaint that, that the people had mm. and that complaint was cured. Mm-hmm. That's a clinically cured symptom. Mm-hmm. Then the third place we get symptoms from is the disease itself. So that was And my, poisonings. Yeah, that's sort of covered in provings. Uh, true, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, not a real good proving. But anyway, here we go. Being highly conscientious, dutiful, responsible, caring, hardworking, and usually above average intelligence. 
mm-hmm. exhibiting a strong tendency to carry other people's burdens and taking on extra obligations and often worrying for others, mm-hmm. having a deep-seated need to make others happy, tending to be people pleasers, often having a history of closeness. This is Dr. Brody's um, summary, mm-hmm. by the way, with a lack of closeness with one or both parents, mm-hmm. harboring long-suppressed toxic emotions, reacting adversely to stress, showing an inability to resolve deep-seated emotional problems, and other health practitioners notice that in early childhood, they tend to have been unloved or abused mm-hmm. as a result of which they have low self-esteem. They try to please others and draw their self sense of self-worth from other people's opinions mm-hmm. and strive to be high achievers. They beat up on themselves if they don't reach the high standards that they've set. So that, that was just an, the essence of a, of a cancer personality. Mm. But as we've already, as just to emphasise to your listeners, the point is that even though that's a cancer personality, there has to be a trigger. Mm. So if you're under a constant stress, anyone's under constant stress, mm. any situation, you just don't, it's unhealthy to remain in that. Mm. You need to get out because you're going to, you're going to break mm. where your weakness is, you'll break eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you can keep going. You were going to talk to us about about what turns a cell from malignant to non malignant. I think we sort of covered that mm-hmm. in the when before. Okay, no, I, that's fine. I was just wondering if there was something anything else. You've got a list of things there that you wanted to chat about. Like, what is it? I just want to make sure that you have everything that's on your list. Like, oh, okay. what else do you want to have a chat about? Okay, so in the in the book on um, the cancer person in treating the person, understanding and treating the person with cancer. <laughs> One thing that I think homeopaths would be especially interested in, and Ramakrishnan uh, in his his seminars, his two-day seminars, never, ever covers mm-hmm. how to choose a cancer remedy. And so that's probably the most often question mm-hmm. I get asked. How do you actually choose a remedy for the person that's got cancer? Mm-hmm. So it's easy. We've got one, carcinosin co. Mm-hmm. So how do you choose the other one? Well, basically it's the... You turn Kent's hierarchy upside down. So if you're looking for a person who's got cancer and they've got a lung cancer, well, that's where you start. The mm. first thing on the list has to be a lung cancer remedy. Mm. And then then you look etiology. Etiology is that's that's the only sort of a little tiny flaw with the turning Kent's hierarchy mm. upside down. That's a quote by um, what's his name, Robin Murphy, by the way. Mm. That was his that was his idea. Oh, interesting. Uh, but etiology is also got to be factored in if it, if it's mm. known. Mm. You know, for example, yeah, anyway, it's going to be factored. We'll yeah, and it. just for our listeners, etiology is the thing that caused it in the first place. So what was the trigger? Yeah, for example, a person might be under a, have the view that people be, you know, view him as nothing. Mm. And so that's, and he's in that situation where he's little treated as if he's nothing, mm. regardless of whether he is or he isn't. The mm. fact is that's what he believes. Mm. And that can be an etiology. Mm. And so that's an example of a cause. And also emphasizing the mental side of that. Mm. So it's usually a mental emotional straw that breaks mm. in that 18 to 24 months prior. Yeah, I was actually just about to ask you, so how did they come to this 18 to 24 months prior to the diagnosis? That was a study Brody had done. For, you know, tens of thousands, Dr. Brody, I'll just leave it at that, mm-hmm. had done, you punch in Dr. Brody and cancer and okay. cancer cancer personality. Um, there'll be tons of information oh, on him. He came to that conclusion. He, as I said, he'd done tens of thousands of cases. And that statistic has mm-hmm. been repeated in numerous works. 
that I've looked at over the years. So it seems to harmonise. I remember a young man, I asked her, was there anything happen? Did anything happen in the last two years to you? Mm. And he said no. So, but then I do after that I do a timeline mm. and work back. So I ask the question twice in essence, mm. and we work back. And about a year and a half prior to his development of leukemia, mm-hmm. he'd been hit in the head by his mother with a cricket bat, oh, which wow. ended the, which ended their relationship. Mm. He woke up two days later in hospital mm. a, from a coma. And so he didn't remember, so just getting back to the etiology factor. So, yeah, it turned out he had leukemia and et cetera. Mm. But it was, that salt was the remedy. And Amazing. it was interesting because the doctor had sent him to look for an alternative health practitioner and said he would monitor him while he was undergoing, uh, yeah, so he was sent by a medical doctor. Amazing. The doctor, the doctor two months said, mm. I'm 100% certain you're on the right track. Stay with this and, oh you'll, my gosh. and you'll, you'll make it, you know, no problems. Mm. So, Peter, have you ever found that there's a cancer that homeopathy doesn't respond to? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of that was kind of a rhetorical question. <laughs> I had to think for a second. Is, is, no, because you just you just um I mean the organ even sometimes they're pretty, you know, obscure mm. um the places, but you can narrow it down. I use three repertories. I use Kent Murphy and Van Den Vaught and I've I've still got the old radar with sense of the snine on it. So that does me I can find, there's not too much I can't find. Mm. Um, there's nothing I can't find. <laughs> and then you've got, then you've got, um, of course, you've got the, the material, the homeopathic library that goes with it, all the books, mm. you know, so you've got tens of thousands of pages mm. of information. Mm-hmm. Have you got so, any favorite homeopathic cancer books? There's obviously Ramakrishnan's one. And no. any other favorite? No. Okay. No. <laughs> got it all no. in your head. <laughs> no. I, um, your own one, obviously. Well, I, if it wasn't, if if I didn't believe it was good, I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't have spent all that time writing it, hey? Sure, um, yeah. and I believe it's. I believe the you know choosing the remedy is what's lacking in uh, homeopathic knowledge. Mm-hmm. How to choose the remedy? That is, as I said, you know, a two day seminar. You'd think a person would walk away knowing how to choose a remedy on cancer, mm-hmm. uh, but but they don't. You hear, you listen to his seminars, and people are screaming out constitutional remedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas you need a, first of all, you need a, first and foremost, you need a cancer remedy. Mm. Then you need the symptoms related to the cancer. That's the second thing. Mm. Of course, etiology, we've already covered that. Mm. So if there's not, if you haven't got etiology or you don't know it, then the second thing is the symptoms related to the cancer. Mm. It's very simple, very, very simple to choose a remedy for a person with cancer. Mm. As long as, you know, as long as you go about it methodically. Mm. So I know you don't don't treat people for cancer yourself. I don't know if you want to go into why. Well, we don't treat cancer. Oh, we no, treat... no, no. Sorry, sorry. Let's rephrase it. I know you don't treat uh, patients with cancer. So yourself, did you want to go into why? Okay, well, this is um, off the record. Oh, okay. Now, if it's off the record, then that's because you did have a chat with me about how okay, things kind well, of went missing. Okay. But so I just wanted to know if you wanted to have something on the podcast about that as well. Okay. No, basically, it just um, became too much. Mm. Um, it was just too much energy I mm. so I basically went to link went back to linguistics mm. for a while well that's good that you put that boundary in place yourself <laughs> yeah. and so I only treat friends and family now and teach mm. that because just the energy 
I don't know if there are many homeopaths in Australia that kind of specialize in that area because we have to be so careful with everything these days. You know, we can't even say that our home, that our remedies work. Like it's just so, so silly. Well, that was, <laughs> that was part of the reason why I stopped treating because every time I sent an email to someone with the word cancer in it, mm. or they sent me an email with the word cancer in it, they didn't arrive. Yeah. Interesting. So that, um, yeah. and that wasn't some, you know, some crazy notion that was real you know we'd speak over the phone yeah i said that yeah i said yeah, that yeah and they were just numerous it was mm. over over about i changed my email address about three or four times how bizarre <laughs> hey the phone number and everything all right so um so peter how can people get hold of you if they want to get a copy of your book or if they want to find out a bit more about your uh, about what you do or is it just the courses that you do at the moment or do the yeah well so as, as i think i mentioned to you before that my website because i've switched from uh teaching health practitioners to mm-hmm. only teaching post you know yeah. post homeopaths yeah. mm-hmm. i the web my web my web designer got got married and he stopped <laughs> Stop doing, doing web designing. So I'm, how inconvenient of him. <laughs> it was terrible. Yes. So, but I'm I'm either I'm looking I'm redesigning my web my web yeah. page. Um, but for the moment, if anyone wants the books, it's eight letters: Pete P E T E, and then D for Delta E for Echo, and D for Delta R for Romeo. So Pete D E D R at gmail.com. Just if you send me an email, the cancer book is twenty bucks, and the course book is 40 bucks i just on that while we're talking about mm-hmm. the um course book i just wanted to oh that'd be right i was just thinking maybe there's a nice web designer listening to this that wants to make you a nice website <laughs> okay this is so out of the people that have done the course yeah um one of them was the president of the aha in south australia mm-hmm. and uh he i asked him i phoned him last night it was lucky that we didn't do Monday uh, Friday yeah. because because I asked him what would he mind if I mentioned him. Yeah. And he said and he said no. Um and he would recommend the course mm-hmm. and he was happy to be mentioned. His oh. name's Yeah, so and he said that the course I said, Would you recommend the course to others? He said yes. And I can't for the life of me find the quotation. <laughs> but but he said that it oh here it is. He said it helped me. The main way it helped me was in choosing the correct remedy. Mm. I'm now more confident, more effective, and more efficient after having done your course. Oh, that's so great. with with my with the course, what I what I do is from the very start, the first chapter, mm. we look at the miasms, mm. and we re- see how they relate to the person's constitution. Mm. So constitution and miasmatic load of the person are considered and then relationship of remedies to that mm. so we analyze remedies miasmatically as well mm. so that that does give you more confidence when you're certain that you've matched the miasmatic load of the person mm. with the miasmatic load of the remedy and you can find you can find that in books like agraval patel uh sorry Banerjee, Mm-hmm. Um, you can find it in your repertory under, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, like under psychosis and sorcera. Mm-hmm. You'll find out what the load of, you can work out the load of the remedies. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you the the largest chapter in the book is on the miasms, mm-hmm. chapter four. So we look at the organon, 
Um, then we look at the miasms, then we look at remedies themselves and, mm-hmm. and analysing just one case. Yvonne, we got Yeah, time. please. So this is just to emphasise the idea of how to, of how knowing the, the um, knowing the person's constitution mm-hmm. and their miasmatic load, how it helps. I'll use a simple one. So the person's symptoms were up and down. Up and down, up and down in intensity. Arsenicum acted. This, so the homeopathers come to me. They had prescribed arsenicum. It acted well and did half the job. And they're not sure of what the next remedy is. So this mm-hmm. is, I get the phone call. Can you help me with this case and a few others? So, mm-hmm. so cool. the, person's consti- the person's constitutional remedy was an axibomica. And the remedy was already clear to me before we even started to, to repertorize mm-hmm. because First, we see the tubercular myosin active because that's shown by the up and down, up and down in the oh. in the way that the remedy, the changeableness mm. of, of the symptoms. And second, we consider what follows arsenic and well. We look in relationships with remedies. We see what remedies follow others well, and th- that those relationships. We talk quite a bit about relationships in the course mm. and how to use them. But so you, we look at look at that. What follows arsenic and well, and then third. We asked what type type of remedy is Nux vomica? Is it sh- shallow or deep? Well, it's a it's a shallow remedy. It only acts. You look at the depth of action mm. by the number of days. I know a lot of homeopaths poo poo that, but these guys we're talking about guys that um, spent their whole lives ho- on homeopathy. Mm. Um, Gibson Miller, for example, wrote the best article that's ever been written, and all other homeopaths draw on his article mm. on how to choose a remedy. That's the, the best article that was ever written. And, and mm. everyone has basically plagiarised that since he wrote okay. it. Now, he wrote in the back of Barica, mm. he you've got the, the chart, you know, remedy relationships. And, yeah, yeah, I've got the book based um, in the clinic. Yeah, and so he wrote that. Mm. He, he didn't waste his time adding the days, the number of days of duration of action just for fun. Mm. So basically what, what you're looking at there is the action of a 1M remedy. From, mm. That's from my assessment of, of what's going on. And so Nuxomic is a shallow remedy mm. that acts, um, you know, about a week, I think it is maximum. Mm, and so we want we want a deeper acting remedy. Nuxomica gives us the clue. What's the constant? What's the um, the chronic of Nuxomica? We first of all we worked out that a myosin was involved mm. because of the up and down, up and down, mm. so the tubercular myosin. Mm. Secondly, now we want a deeper acting remedy than Nuxomica, mm. and we want a remedy that follows arsenicum well. Sulfur was just easy pie, and when you and when you did the repertorization, it was sulfur easy. So we knew it was sulfur. So that's the advantage yeah. of of using myosins. And the, and the constitution mm. and the remedy relationships mm. to make yourself certain of your remedy choice. Mm. That's what that homeopath that said about it. You know, he was more okay. certain of his choice of remedy after it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Peter, what would you like to finish our episode off on today? Have you got any final messages that you want to give to our listeners? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I sent you a picture and I sent you an email. Oh, I did of, wonder why you sent me that picture. <laughs> the repertorization. Repertorization I did two years ago. Oh, yeah. When, when COVID first broke out. Mm. And I collected from three different places around the world mm. all, all the symptoms of COVID and the number of people. These were, when I say, these were three places that listed 
like for example you know 700 patients 700 patients mm. and 50% had this symptom 90% had this symptom mm-hmm. and so I rated each symptom according to the percentage that had it okay and I came up with two remedies yeah arsenicum and phosphorus and they're in front oh, of the others and interesting. what's interesting about arsenicum they were two huge remedies for COVID or they still are well What's interesting about them mm. is that in the periodic table, I mean, I know it's arsenicum, um, it's an oxide of arsenicum, but mm. nonetheless, it's it's an arsenicum iron is in there and a phosphorus mm. iron is in there. So you've got in the periodic table, they line up. They've both oh. got the same number of electrons in their outer shell. And phosphorus and arsenicum are complements of each other. Phosphorus is the left-sided, arsenicum is the right-sided. So I thought, hey, we've got a winner here. Okay. And so... Every single client that has come to the homeopaths in the first week before, we're not talking about after the first week, Eugenie, mm. but it, within the first week, 100% have been, have, have the, the symptoms have evaporated mm. using arsenicum or phosphorus. Wow. And so any, I, any particular so, potency? 1M, 10M. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so because it's a it, because it's intense, the intensity mm. of match got, got to match that. Mm. Personally, I had COVID. And took arsenic and one M three doses. I started gave myself three doses of arsenic and one M mm-hmm. about every half an hour, one hour, and it was holding it at bay, but it wasn't really doing anything. So I switched to phosphorus straight away, and one M, and that was started advancing on it, but then it started losing on it. So then I switched to ten M. So this is ten o'clock in the morning, yeah, till six o'clock at night. Took my first dose of ten M. Mm-hmm. Symptoms gone. Totally That's amazing. So in yeah. in, eight, in eight hours, mm. that was over. And I've had other people who've had just one dose of one remedy mm-hmm. and homeopaths, a number of homeopaths are using this method. That's and pretty amazing. Getting, and you're in the age group that is supposed to be suffering with COVID the, the most, right? And you managed to kick yeah. it in eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd like to tell you about how to prepare for immunization, but perhaps we've gone Yeah, let's. How long do you think it will take? I'm just, I just. Oh, quick as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, talk to us about that. Three three principles. Mm -hmm. First of all, the first principle is to remove the susceptibility. Mm. So you do that by giving a 200C of the immunization a week prior and Mm. then the 30C on the morning, Mm. the 30C in the the immunization Mm. potency. You know, the going very. Yeah, yeah, the remedy made from the. Yeah, so straight itself. after straight after the immunization, you give a 200C mm. immediately after. So that's so the first principle is remove susceptibility. Second is antidote, mm. and anti 200C is the best antidote for anyway. So 200C, and then the day after you start through your 30 three days in a row, skip a day, carcinosin 30, and then again the 200C oh, of the and that's been mainly used on children. For, that's where it started from. In fact, my daughter became a nurse, and that was the reason why I became so mm-hmm. um, involved in wanting to find out how to mm-hmm. prepare for immunization because she had to keep be immunized to keep a job. Yeah. But but all the children have sailed through, and all the people have sailed through who've used that amazing. method. Amazing. That's all right. Yeah, I um, get amazing results with um, detoxing clients from vaccines in the <clears> clinic as well, or just, just supporting. I don't know if I'm allowed to say detoxing. I don't know what we're allowed to say these days. It just feels like you know, the medical De- profession can go around De- with, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Just be so careful. 
Well, it was lovely to have a chat with you today, Peter. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I know this yeah, is going to be, be very helpful for a lot of our listeners to, to listen well, to this. And yeah. And I tell you what, I feel I'm probably jinxing myself, which is not great because the podcast party is on Friday, but I feel like I'm the only person in Perth that hasn't had COVID yet. I almost feel like I'm missing out. Like literally all my clients have had it. Some of my staff, like everyone I know has had it and, um, I have not. So I don't know what's going on. Maybe that well, I feel like there's something wrong with me that I haven't well, had it yet. <laughs> well, they, oh, I think it was Dorothy Cooper who said the best prophylaxis is the constitutional remedy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're taking a constitutional or are you taking arsenic and 200 or phosphorus? 200? No, neither of those. I think I just, yeah, I don't know. You I don't know. In, you, <laughs> might in, you might be in good nick. <laughs> we'll put it down to that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, if, I, if I've got some teeth, so where, whereabouts, you, can you send us a text on? Oh yeah. I'll send you the details for it. Sure. It's, it'll just be a, a bunch of women. They'll, they'll be like one or two guys, but you're welcome to pop in and say hi. And you know, if it, if it's too well, many women for you. Then... Mount Lawley, I'll, um, I'll, I'd like to just, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Um, it'll be it, in Mount Hawthorne. So Mount Hawthorne, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's not that far. That's just down the road from me. Yeah. On excellent. On Nelson Park. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's really nice and close. Awesome. Okay. I'll, I'll introduce I'll you, you to some homie pass. I'll yeah. let you go. Okay, all the best. See ya. I'll, I'll only be there if I get my teeth done. Oh, done no worries. Prior to it. Just okay. so you know, the episodes are scheduled up to about the 16th of September at the moment. So it'll be a little while, yeah, about six weeks or so before it comes out. Can you just um, text me on how I'll to e- get through? Yeah, I'll email you. Yeah. That'll cool. be great. No worries. See ya. Bye. Okay. See ya. Bye. Good on you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.